ahead and get started this morning. Um, please join me in singing as you stand. Take a seat. So good to see you all here today. It's great to be worshiping with you once again. Uh, as many of you know, but some don't, I am Scott. I'm the worship pastor here at Peckway Church, and we love connecting people to God and one another. And as always, we hope that it's your experience here with us as you worship today that you see that and feel that happening. 
You know, every week we ask everyone to fill out the green connection card in your inside of your bulletin. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and take out that card. It's uh, front and back there, but just uh, some information on the back. There's some things. If you have any questions about Peckway Church, you can check those boxes. But you can also feel free to write in that empty box on the side if there's something that you don't see. But more importantly than that for us is we love to partner with you and pray with you. And so you can write your prayer request there as well. And then online, there's also going to be a connect link that you'll see there in the chat window. You might have to minimize that to find that, uh, but you can do that and also click on that card uh, and fill out that this morning as well. Also, if you're a first-time guest, uh, you can simply just take out your cell phone and you can text the word hello to 717-872-5679. Let me give that again, 717-872-5679, and that's simply the word hello. And when you do that, that just simply opens a personal line of communication with us, and, uh, and we can also answer any questions through that as well. Uh, but we hope to give you everything that you need to see, whether or not Peckway Church is a great fit for you. And then if you have any questions here in person, you can also visit us out at the, uh, at the welcome desk there. Uh, stop in and say hello, ask any questions. We have free resources available for you, such as Bibles. And also, if you're a first-time guest, we have a free book for you. You can see that in your bulletin, what that's about. But it's a great book by Andy Stanley. Well, you know, we, uh, as, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about giving, right? I usually do that at the end of the service, but today we're going to do it here, and we're going to, we've been talking about hearing from God about our giving, and so as we continue that today, we're going to talk about getting specific with God, and that just means to pray, asking him, you know, asking him specifically how we can use our resources and how that can be used to further God's kingdom, and then, you know, once you've heard from God on that through scripture and through prayer, then I just encourage you to give wholeheartedly. And so that's what these talks are for, just to encourage us to trust God, take those little steps of faith, uh, and giving is part of that. So if you want to do that in person today, you can find envelopes at the back of the room on that uh, table before you exit. Also, you can give uh, through the website. There's going to be a give link there in the chat window as well. And then you can also text to give, and there's information about that, I believe, uh, on the website and in your bulletin. If not, come see me, and I can get you connected with that. Well, you know, as we uh, have been going through this sermon series, um, today's topic is, again, I, I, we're going to be talking about faith, and more specifically, our faith in action. And I know many of us probably have heard, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk, or can you walk the, you know, you might can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Uh, and I think maybe that's usually with, maybe, well, it could be with anything, but maybe I've heard it more often with sports. Can you talk a good game, but can you really play the game? Well, when it comes to our faith, are we walking the walk or are we just talking a good talk let's watch this video and then we'll talk a little bit more about it what would you rather have one million dollars or one person saved when someone puts down christianity do you speak up or do you stay silent what if your friend is down on life do you mention god or just tell them they'll be okay is it that hard to talk about God? We say we are Christian, but never put it into action. We all talk about how things should be done, but never act upon it. We are scared to be evangelists for the Lord. Today is the day to change. Put your pride aside, put your ego away, and spread the word of God for those who desperately need it. This world needs change and one small step will make a difference. It's very easy to talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? And so that's our encouragement today as we hear the message about putting our faith in action, that we can't just have a good, a good talk, but we also have to walk it out. And that's simply putting into action the things that God is talking to us about, sharing our faith, sharing how God has helped us to overcome our challenges. And so I'm going to invite you to stand once again with us as we sing this next song that tell that talks about that that we're going to sing about my Jesus. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Shame's done all it's stealing. Are you desperate some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. 
across to Calvary, bear the price for all my guilty. Who would care that much about me? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Oh, he makes a way where there ain't no way, rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't say. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong. what he can do for us today. He can change our life when we look to him and we trust him uh, no matter what we walk through because as this next song tells us, uh, at the sound of his voice, uh, things tremble, right? But he brings peace to our life. So whatever you're walking through th today, trust him and let him bring that peace to you. Is alive. 
saying that at his name uh, that uh, maybe not specifically but it said that it, things tremble and I, for me that's the evil things in our life that would want to uh, pummel us at the name of Jesus we are overcomers and so today as we talk to him in this few moments before we hear today's message would you maybe tell him the things that are uh, that you are afraid of today, the things that are causing you fear, the things that uh, are trying to uh, maybe come against you. And so go ahead and just take a moment and pray uh, and telling Jesus about that. And then we'll wrap that up and we'll come into the message. So let's just take a moment. Jesus, we thank you for the power that is in your name. And that, God, that the things that we hear, uh, Lord, the things that maybe um, try to discourage us or um, make us doubt, Father, today would you whisper to our hearts, would you strengthen us as we hear your word, as we recall by the power of your spirit, Lord, the things that we've learned maybe over the years as we've been in church uh, been in small groups. Lord, would you encourage and strengthen our hearts, and uh, Father, help us to step out in faith and to put those things in action. We might believe them, but God, help us to actually take that that step forward to actually put those things into action that we've heard, that we've learned, uh, Lord, and to move from our head into our heart today. And as we hear your word, Father, as we hear this message today, God, may our hearts be open and may we be changed as a result of opening ourselves up to you when we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, and I just want to join with Scott and the rest of the worship team welcoming you today. And, and again, I just am reflecting, not only as we sang that song, but just reflecting on this series. I know for me personally, I never cease to be amazed at the sovereignty and province of God because, you know, uh, we, I really decided to kind of go in the direction of the series weeks ago before any of this in, in the Ukraine and all of this even bubbled up and gas prices what they are. And, and the reality is, for me at least, and I hope for you, you're finding this focus of James about what it means to practically live our faith in the midst of an uncertain times, troubling times, frightening times, um, is, is being very, very helpful to you. Now, with that said, I want to begin the message maybe in, uh, uh, in an unusual way, a way we haven't done in a while, and that is I want to begin this morning's message by sharing with you some riddles. Are you up for that this morning? I want to just share with you some riddles. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to give you a few moments to just answer the riddle in your head, okay? So you ready? Let me, let me read you the first one. Here it is. A father and son are in a car accident. The father dies instantly. The boy, in critical condition, is rushed to the nearest hospital for emergency surgery. The surgeon looks at the child and says, I can't operate on him. He's my son. How can that be? See if you can come up with the answer. Okay, do you know the answer? Yeah, some of you shaking your heads, others, yeah, it's his mother. And if you didn't get that one right, you might want to check your sexist attitude. I'm just saying. Okay, okay, here's the, here's the second one. How can you use the letters in new door to make one word? Go ahead, see if you can figure it out. How can you use the letters in new door to make one word? 
Okay, do you have it? Okay, the answer is, folks, one word. One word, that's the answer. You use the letters to make one word. Here's a third one, okay? Are you ready? Railroad crossing, look out for cars. How can you spell that without any R's? Okay. I'm having just a little bit of perverse fun. Here's how you spell that, T-H-A-T. Okay, take a second, it'll, it'll dawn on you. <laughs> Some of you are really trying to figure out how to spell that with no R's. That, okay, Here, here's the next one. Maybe this will tune you in. Okay, Johnny's mother has four children. The first child is April. The second was May. The third was June. What was the name of her fourth child? Okay, I heard some of you say it, it's Johnny, and if you didn't get that one, you probably ought to think about not playing along anymore, but anyhow, let me, let me give you a fifth one, we're almost done. The fifth, fifth riddle is this, there was an airplane crash, every single person on the plane died, but two people survived. How is that possible? Okay, here's the answer to that one, folks. They were married, okay? Every single person on the plane died, okay? Here, here's the last one, I promise. This is the last one. Some of you are going, Jerry, I have no idea where you're going with this this morning. Here's the last one. Imagine you're in a sinking rowboat surrounded by sharks. How do you survive? Okay, folks, here's how you survive. Quit imagining. Just stop imagining, okay? Now, some of you, you go, please explain to me what this is all about, folks. Here, here's the reason we did all that this morning, because, folks, the reality is, I hope for many of you right up front, but certainly in hindsight, I hope you could see how every one of those answers was obvious. It really was obvious, and, and the reality is, even though things are obvious, it's easy for us to miss the obvious, isn't it? Especially in spiritual things. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. That's what James is going to drive home for us today, specifically when it comes to the reality and the relationship and the role of faith in our Christian life. So let's pick up where we left off last week. If you have your message notes, take them out. And if you will, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what it is, and all the verses are there on the outline, if you're following along on the outline, but if you would like to, you certainly join me in God's Word. But let me read to you where James begins this week. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. And I want you to notice how Eugene Peterson, an incredible biblical scholar, incredible pastor, here's how he paraphrased that. In other words, he was trying to say, let me put it in everyday English. If James is writing today, how might he, be, how might he express it? And here's what he says. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, good morning, friend, be clothed in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I love that last part of that from Eugene Peterson. Isn't God talk without God acts, outrageous nonsense. And so what James is doing, he's beginning here by saying, folks, asking the question really, what good is faith without deeds? What is good is spirituality without substance? What good is God talk without God acts? 
And the answer James is implying here, he really isn't, we don't have to go far to understand what he's saying. The answer he's implying is no good at all. In fact, he just flatly says it. He says that kind of faith is dead and useless. And for James, again, why we started with that game is because for James, that truth, that reality really is obvious. At least it ought to be self-obvious. And that's why he argues. He gives that illustration. He says, how is it? Just as he says, just as it would be impossible, illogical for you and I to come across a friend in need, needing food and clothing and not do anything about it, not respond anyway. He says, just as illogical for you and I to claim to have real faith and to not do anything in our lives and not produce any fruit or good deeds in our lives. So what James is getting at here, what he wants us to understand is it is possible for you. It's possible for me. He wanted his readers to understand that it was possible for them to have a veneer of faith. In other words, to talk about faith, read about faith, to know the traditions, the, the religion, the terminology, the rituals of faith, and never have it take root in their life. He wanted them to understand that. He wants us to understand that. He wants us to understand that when that happens, we truly do not have what the Bible talks about and means when it talks about faith. But James didn't stop there, because having said that, he immediately, as a good teacher would, anticipated how people respond to that. He, he, com- he immediately thought and knew that some people are going to hear me and read that and say to themselves, oh, okay, I get you, James. So what you're saying is having faith is all about doing good things, doing good deeds. That's what it's right about, right, James? And here's how he responds to that. Take a look at the next verse. He, he says this, now some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And again, take a look at how Peterson paraphrases. I think he opens this passage up phenomenally for us with how he paraphrases it. I can, hear, I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department, I'll take care of the work department. But James writes, not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, they fit together like hand and glove. And so what James is doing here is he's offering a very important counterbalance to those who would make spirituality, who would make faith simply about doing good works, simply about you know, caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, and, and, and simply coming from that. And James understood that some could read his words and would read his words and react like this, way to go, James. I always kind of thought those faith people are a little bit off. You know, I never really had a whole lot of use for that whole belief and morality and Bible stuff. Let's just focus on feeding the poor, housing the homeless, caring for widows and orphans, and not get all worked up about who or what we believe in. Because after all, James, I agree with you. It's all about doing good, and that's it. But James says, and he says very clearly, not so fast. Because James wants us to understand, wanted his readers to understand, that faithless action is every bit as empty as actionless faith. That the reality is faith and deeds are two sides of the same coin. So it isn't an either or, it's a both and. And yet what James wants us to understand, wants his readers to understand, is that his concern, as he looks at his readers, he looks out through history, through the Spirit at us, he realizes that most frequently, when we mess it up, we mess it up on the actionless faith side of things. In other words, we mess it up by having belief but no behavior. We mess it up by by focusing on knowing but doing very little with it. We mess it up by having spiritual ideas, but quite honestly, very few spiritual actions. And James just comes right out and says, folks, that kind of faith is absolutely useless. For take a look at what he writes next. He, He says it in a very profound, very pointed way when he writes this. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Or again, one more time, Peterson's paraphrase, he says, do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you've done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that, but what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse in your hands? Folks, some of you recognize this. It's not going to come as a surprise, even if you've never read it. But 
back just last year, Gallup did a survey of, of Americans' faith, Americans' belief, and what they found was that 92% of Americans say they believe in the existence of God. They believe in some form of God. Now, it might not be how you and I believe, but 92% of Americans said they believe there is a God, which leaves about 6% approximately said we're agnostic. In other words, I'm not sure if there is or isn't. I'm not quite clear, which ultimately leaves only about 2% of America being card-carrying atheists. In other words, only about 2% of Americans say, you know, there is no God. I just do not believe a God exists. But here's my point. The vast majority of Americans say, I believe in God. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging me. I mean, I say that's good. That's great. And it is good. And it is great. But we need to hear James here because he says, folks, as good as that is, it's not enough. Because ultimately, folks, he says, even the demons believe in the existence of God. They're an outright rebellion but they don't question the existence of God. So he says, you know, if our faith does not shape our actions, he says it's as dead as a corpse. It's lifeless. It's meaningless. Because our faith, James is implying, must have a positive impact on our life. If not, it's not truly biblical faith. Now, I think probably everyone here and watching online recognizes, is aware of the fact that the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because there's nothing living in it. And the reason nothing's living in it is because the minerals and all, all that, the salts and all those minerals that flow not only down the Jordan, but ultimately into the Sea of Galilee flow in to the Dead Sea and they accumulate there to the point that it cannot sustain life, that it is impossible. In fact, if you've been there, I would tell you the water of the Dead Sea is the consistency of vegetable oil. You literally can float standing up. I mean, you could stand in the Dead Sea like this and float without touching bottom. It's that thick. It's that full of sediment, mineral deposits. Now, here's the reason I share that. Folks, the, the reality is, as you think about the Dead Sea, because they're mining at the far end of the Dead Sea, the lower end of the Dead Sea, to get all these minerals. And so, simultaneously, the Dead Sea is, is surprisingly full and, at the same time, surprisingly empty. And the reason for that is simply this, and some of you know it, most of you know that. It's because it has no outlet. And so all those minerals that flow down out of the mountains, flow down the Jordan, through the Sea of Galilee, ultimately come to the Dead Sea, and they flow in, but they can't flow out. Now, some of you already smell where I'm going with this, don't you? Folks, you and I can be spiritual Dead Seas. The reality is, folks, if you and I are simply about taking in spiritual truth and spiritual knowledge, but in no way that flows out of us in terms of spirit-inspired action, spirit-inspired lifestyle then the reality is, folks, we will eventually spiritually die because we cannot separate belief and behavior. We cannot separate faith and actions and live spiritually for very long, just like the Dead Sea. But again, you might be listening to that and saying to yourself, and rightfully so, you go, but Jerry, haven't I heard somewhere, didn't I read somewhere, I think it's Paul, didn't Paul say that we just have to believe to be saved? Didn't I, didn't I hear that? And yes, you did hear that. You read that. Paul says that in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus, Lord, believe with our heart that God raised him the dead, we will be saved. You're absolutely right when you think of that. And Paul was absolutely right when he said that. I absolutely agree with that. But here's what we need to understand is what Paul meant by belief. Because Paul had much more in mind than simply you and I accepting some mental facts simply agreeing with some faith assertions, some historical statements. What Paul had in mind with belief, and the Bible understands by belief, is that ultimately expresses itself in tangible actions, or what James calls that expresses itself in good deeds. And so what James is doing in this passage is actually laying out three kinds of faith, three types of faith, and is going to say to us only one of them is genuine, only one of them, to use Paul's terms, is saving faith. Let me give them to you real quick. It's there on the outline. The first type of faith James talks about in verses 14 through 18 is a faith divorced from deeds. Okay? It, it's a faith. We have a knowledge. We would affirm that we believe in God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We would affirm those things, but it has little or no impact on our personal life. It has little or no impact on our lifestyle. That's the first kind of faith that James not only lifts up and identifies, but say it's not biblical faith. The second kind that he's talking about, and we just talked about in verses 19 through 20, is a faith marked by evil deeds. And James says that's the faith of the demons. That's the faith of any person, you know, 
heavenly or earthly, that says, yeah, I believe in the existence of God. I believe that Jesus is Lord, the Son of God, but it has absolutely no impact on my lifestyle. In fact, I live in defiance and rebellion toward it. And I know for me, there was a period in my life that I fit in that category. I never denied the existence of God. I never denied that Jesus was Lord. I didn't disbelieve the Bible. I just didn't care. I was going to do what I wanted to do. And many people, even in that 92% of Americans who say they believe in God, are really in that category. And I don't mean that in any kind of ugly way, folks, but it's a, it's a piercing way when we realize that I share the same kind of faith the demons do. That I acknowledge the existence of God. I acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. I just don't care. It's not going to change how I live. It's not going to change how I act. The third kind of faith that James is going to lift up here in just a second, verses 21 through 26, we're going to look at, is faith marked by good deeds. In other words, it is a faith that moves me to live out my faith, that, that changes who I am and how I live and how I treat other people and how I view God. It, it truly transforms my life. So what James is doing here, what I want us to understand, the reason we're pausing here to look at this, because what James is doing in this whole passage that we're looking at today is he is exposing one of the most dangerous and most common myths, spiritual myths out there. And the myth is this, folks, that we can somehow separate belief from behavior. That we can somehow separate knowing from doing. We can somehow separate character from conduct and think it's okay. It isn't that we just separate. That's not the myth. It's also the myth that we think it's okay. But it's not okay, James says. But we think it's okay because in our culture, and really, and really it's shaped by the Greek worldview, that somehow we have fallen into this trap and bought this myth that somehow knowing about something in any way is equivalent with it actually being a reality in my life. So somehow if I just believe there is a God, that somehow I think that's the same as it being a reality in my life, a shaping and molding my life and behavior. And James says, folks, you need to understand, it's not. It's a dangerous, dangerous spiritual myth. In the Bible, folks, there is a very distinct and powerful difference between intellectual knowledge and biblical knowledge. And I think one of the best ways I, I could really help us understand that is in the Bible. The, Bi the biblical word that most often is translated to know in the Greek, in, in the New Testament, is the word gnosko. And it means to know. But again, in the biblical mind frame, and certainly in the New Testament, when, when it talks about knowing, it involves a whole lot more than just simply accepting, accepting some biblical facts. Let me give you an example. And probably if you've been around Bible college, I can remember as a new Christian going to Bible college, and I just thought this was so comical when I heard it for the first time. And you've all heard it. King James, right? Adam knew Eve. Now, it didn't mean he recognized her. It, it meant that they had sexual relations. In other words, and that's what the word gnosko means. Not sexual relations, let me be clear. I don't want anyone misquoting me. What it means is intimate knowledge. In other words, when, when a man would gnosko a woman... <laughs> It was in all likelihood you would have a baby nine months later. And so gnosko, this idea of knowing is relational. It truly is something that is deep, that is exceptional, that's experiential. And James says if we don't have that kind of knowledge, we don't have that kind of faith. That our faith is truly useless. It's lifeless. And to help his readers and help us get that, James lifts up two historical illustrations. Remember, his readers were first century Jewish Christians. They were the first generation of Christians, but they were Jewish. And so he goes back to the national history. He gives them two examples of what genuine faith looks like. So let me read them to you. Just in succession here, he puts them together. He says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abram was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scripture says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. And then he goes on to Rahab. He says, Rahab, the prostitute, it's another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them away safely by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And I want you to underline those phrases, both of Abraham and of Rahab, that they were shown to be right with God. 
He did not say, James did not say they were made right with God. He said they were shown to be right with God. But the point that, that, that James is making here is he's saying that's faith, folks. He says that's faith because Abraham and Rahab not only believed, they behaved. They acted on that faith. They moved forward because of their faith. Now, again, let me go back to that phrase. They were shown to be right with God. So James is not saying here, nor is he arguing, please don't misquote him, is ever thinking that James is somehow saying that their deeds made them saved, that their deeds somehow was what real faith was all about. It wasn't James was saying that their deeds made their faith real. He was saying that their deeds showed that their faith was real. Does that make sense? Do you understand the distinction? He, did, he didn't say it made them real. It showed that they were real. Or to say it to you negatively, what James is saying, the absence of deeds reveals the absence of faith. That's what he wants us to understand because he is arguing, the logic he's following is because if I really believe, if I really have faith, it cannot help but produce action in my life. It cannot produce, help but produce the kind of behavior that it produced in Abraham and Rahab. And so here's what I want to do. Let me make it practical for us this morning, folks. What we need to ask ourselves in light of all of this is simply this question. Is what I believe disconnected from what I do? Is what I believe disconnected from what I do? In other words, do I have a head knowledge of God, but I don't have a gnosko knowledge of God, that intimate, personal knowledge of God? Have I intellectually accepted Jesus as my forgiver, but I've functionally rejected him as my Lord, as the leader of my life? That's what James is getting at. And folks, that's, that's the framework. That's the faith and work divide that we all have to bridge in some way, some form in our life. We have to work it through. And when I say that the faith work divide, we have to bridge it, I'm not saying, folks, that we have to live a perfect life. We don't have to, to say somehow I've achieved sinless perfection. No, what I'm talking about is we have, to, we have to live it out in terms of living an integrated life. A life where through the power of the Spirit, we are seeking to live a life where our faith and our actions, our belief and our behavior line up. Because according to James, and according to every other biblical author, that is the normal Christian life. That's God's design for us. Some of you are familiar that in Acts chapter 11, Luke tells us these words. He writes this, he says, it was there at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Now, you may or may not know that the word Christian never came off the lips of Jesus. The apostles weren't the ones to kind of coin that term. The church didn't make it up. It was some non-Christian people living in Antioch, watching the life of these believers who came up with the term Christian. You say, why? I'll tell you why. Because historically, what we understand is they watched these people. And as they watched their life, this integration of what they believed and how they behaved, they, they began to say to themselves, how do we describe these people? How do we talk about these people? And the best they could figure out is to say to one another and about these people to say, well, all I can say is they live, they love, and they serve like little Jesuses. They live like little Christ. So again, we need to ask ourselves, church, 2,000 years later, can people say that about us? Is it a reality that our belief and our behaviors is so integrated that when people see us, they see Jesus? Is that a reality for us personally? Is that a reality for us corporately? Again, if we trust the research, if we trust the studies that are going on among Christian and non-Christian people, the honest answer is more often than not, no. No. They don't see Jesus when they see us. And the reason why, I believe one of the reasons why, is because, folks, while, while we have flawless belief, our behavior largely has been unaffected. And so, yes, folks, we, we as evangelical Christians, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And yes, we believe that Jesus came to earth to, to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And yes, we believe on the third day he rose. And yes, we believe... That if, that if we put our faith in Jesus, that just like Jesus, we can rise to new life, we can live with new power. We believe all that. But if that's all that we do, if we just believe, folks, then the reality is 
that when it's all boiled down, what we really are to the community is we're simply Christ believers and not Christ followers. And the reason why is because the belief that we have packed in our heads, which is good, I've given my life to studying doctrine, to studying the scriptures, but folks, the reality is, is if that's true for us, it's because the belief in our heads has never made it to our heart and out of our hands. And so unlike those Christians in that first century in Antioch, when the world looks at us, they, they don't see an integration. They don't see our faith as the driving, compelling force in our life. Now that's the bad news. Here's the good news. But it can be. In fact, James is writing so that it will be. But for that to happen, folks, we must, we must make the decision to cooperate with God's Spirit and let what we know here, what we have, the faith in our head moves to our heart and out our hands. So my question for you, my question for me all week has been simply this, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to ask Jesus and not simply come into our life to be our forgiver, but are we willing to ask him to come into our life to be our leader? Are we willing to say to Jesus, Jesus, I believed, I believed for a long time, but the reality is I'm not living an integrated life. I haven't been all yours, but I want to be. I want to live an integrated life. I want to be somebody whose head, heart, and hands all belong to you. Again, folks, that's what James wants us to understand. That's what the New Testament wants us to understand. It means to be a Christian, not just believers, not just Jesus believers, Jesus followers. So the question we need to ask is, are we ready for that? Are we truly sick and tired of living with one foot in and one foot out? Are we ready for our faith to go deeper? For our faith to be life-giving and life-changing? If so, then I want to say to us today, let's make the decision. Let's make the decision to go from simply, you know, uh, believing like a Christian to living like a Christian. I still remember the day that that reality dawned on me, the, the reality, the day in my life when I realized that I needed exactly what James was talking about. That I desperately needed Jesus to not only be my forgiver and friend, but I desperately needed Jesus to be my leader and my Lord. That I desperately, desperately needed to not only believe like a Christian, but I needed to behave like a Christian. And I knew by God's help, and by being able to sit under some wonderful teaching, I realized that if that was ever going to happen, I needed to surrender my life in the leadership of my life to Jesus. I needed to get out of the driver's seat and turn it over to him. And so today, what I want to do is rather than as I typically do, end by praying for you, I want to end today by inviting you to pray for you. I want to invite you to pray whatever it is you need to pray about, about this about moving from belief to behavior. And so all I'm going to do today is I'm simply going to guide you in prayer as you pray. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Now again, I just want to guide you, even now, if God's been speaking to you, then you just talk to God about what God wants to talk to you about in all of this. But I just want to begin to maybe just guide you a little bit. So right now, for some of us, we might want to pray about the fact of coming to know Jesus for the first time. For while we maybe for years have known about him, today the Spirit of God has brought it to mind that you've really never known him. You've never gnoscoed him. And so today, maybe right now in this time, in this quietness, in this this attitude of prayer, you might just want to settle that, to come to know him. On the other hand, you, you might have considered yourself a Christian for years, but today God's Spirit has challenged you about the fact that you haven't really been living it. So why not use this time to get back on track? To just tell God you're ready 
to bring the belief and the behavior together. Maybe online, maybe here in the room, the truth is you say, Jerry, I, I, don't, I don't know where I'm at. I mean, I don't know if I'm a Christian, non-Christian, believer, non-believer. It's, it's just all a muddled, muddy mess for me. So maybe you want to take this time and just clean that all up. To sort that out. Maybe you've been trying to the best of your ability to faithfully live the Christian life for years, but today you realized that you need more than your resolve. You need more than your determination. You need more than, than self-discipline. You need the power and the presence of God, His Spirit working in your life. And so today you just want to say, God, I'm turning over the wheel. I'm releasing leadership in my life. Maybe you've been faithfully following in the power of the Spirit with the help of God all these years to live the Christian life, and today you just want to say to Him once again like you have maybe hundreds if not thousands of times before, God, you have all my heart, you have all my head, you have all my hands, and you always will. Folks, you pray what you need to pray. But I want to suggest to you, please pray, because I know this much about all of us, myself included. We all need to say something to God about this, don't we? Because the answer to this one, folks, just like the answer to each of the riddles we started with this morning, the answer, it really is obvious. And so just use this time to talk to God.
Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And he is here with us in this moment. And if you're praying, I want to encourage you to keep praying. Pray about whatever it is that God has laid on your heart. But right now, Pastor Scott is going to just sing a song. And when it's done, he's going to dismiss us. But listen, this place, this time, this room, this space is for you, for you to pray, to talk to God, to bridge that faith and deeds divide in your life. And so you pray as long as you need to pray, but Pastor Scott's going to lead those of us who are done praying in, in quietly in a song. But you keep praying, you keep doing business with God, and at the end, Scott's going to dismiss us. I come, I confess, bowing here I find my rest. Without you I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. come my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Lord I need you oh, I need you guys are still praying you can just take that time um, but if not just we ask that you would just slip out quietly um, and while those who are praying would still be in the room 